Welcome to this recorded sermon for June the 27th. Several times this year, we have visited the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It is a book so well suited to formulating personal spiritual goals. So we have returned to this part of the New Testament several times this year, and I would like for us to do that again in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Listen, please, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil workers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We've talked about various parts of this passage in previous sermons this year. There is one part I want to emphasize as we begin. Note Paul's change of loyalty. Note Paul's change of loyalty. This is like a picture of before and after. Before his obedience to the gospel, Paul's loyalty was to the powerful Jewish religious party, the Pharisees. He had status among those men, and in the maintenance of that status, he became a zealous persecutor of the church. He tells the story here and on other occasions that there was a change in his loyalty, and that refers to his conversion to Jesus Christ. That change is identified with inspired clarity in this passage where it says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. His loyalty changed from devotion to a human religious system to serving God through Jesus Christ. 
the Apostle Paul, known before his conversion as Saul of Tarsus, witnessed the resurrected Christ and responded with repentance and baptism, a change of loyalty. And in Romans, in Galatians, here in Philippians, and documented by Luke in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul justified his loyalty to Jesus Christ, affirming Jesus to be the Lord and teaching others of their need to make that same confession. So this leads to my topic, which is framed as a question. Can we justify our loyalties? In virtually every area of life, there is the presence of loyalties. Loyalties play a role in friendships, in families, in religious groups, in politics, in matters racial, national, in business, in science, in sports. One can observe personal loyalties. Generally, we admire loyalty and consider it a virtue. It speaks of devotion, trust, or a bond. In the Bible, there are cases of loyalty we think highly of, Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. You may recall instances of personal loyalty in the story of David. For instance, when he sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this graciousness and loyalty to Saul. They buried Saul. That's in 2 Samuel 2 and verse 5. In your experience in life, perhaps you observe family loyalty, loyalty to a business or community. Generally, we admire loyalty and consider it a virtue. But we all know something else about this subject. There are cases of blind loyalty or misplaced loyalty. So here is a healthy point of self-examination. Can we justify our loyalties? I want to take us in that direction. And I want to start here. There are four areas of loyalty I want us to think about. Four areas of loyalty for us to think about. Number one, family loyalty. Jesus knew this would be an issue. He understood strong attachment to family and there is good in that. However, he knew there would be people who would choose family instead of the gospel. So he spoke directly about that misplaced loyalty. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, there are cases we are all familiar with where the gospel is presented, but it's not obeyed because of loyalty to the family religion. Number two, racial loyalty. This has long been a pathway toward hostility. To be militantly loyal to your personal race, believing your race is superior. Christians may need to be reminded in the book of Acts, there are these very clear statements. Peter, of the Jewish race, came into the house of Cornelius, the Gentile race, and Peter said, 
God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's Acts 10, 34 and 35. Later, according to Acts 17, 26, God made from one man every nation of mankind. Racial superiority just isn't a biblical position. Therefore, misplaced loyalty. It cannot be justified. National loyalty. Uh, Related to the previous, Paul's loyalty to the Jewish nation did not keep him from obedience to Jesus Christ when he came on that Damascus road. There was, according to Romans 10, a love and affection for his Jewish countrymen. But in that place, Romans 10, he said, zeal for God must be according to knowledge. Number four, religious group loyalty. Here's another case. The primary New Testament example is the misplaced loyalty of people to the Jewish religious group, the Pharisees. In Philippians 3, Paul's testimony is that he gave up that loyalty. Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of this group in Matthew 23. So loyalty to that religious party could not be justified and actually took people away from God. And today, many people are so loyal to a humanly formed religious party, it blocks the attention they need to give to obedience to the commandments of God. Now, in each of these cases I've given, we've talked about family loyalty, racial loyalty, national loyalty, religious group loyalty. In each of these cases, loyalty is to be judged by its object and its passion. Loyalty is to be judged by its object and its passion. Blind loyalty to family isn't to be commended when it cancels loyalty to Christ. Militant loyalty to one race over another just isn't a biblical position. National patriotism should never be admired when God's will is avoided in pursuit of political ends and agendas. And when a religious group becomes more important than living under the authority of Christ, that's a huge problem. So here is where I think we need to go with this. Safeguards against blind loyalties. Safeguards against blind loyalties. I mean, if there are loyalties that cannot be justified loyalties that we allow to hinder us in obedience to God, what safeguards do we need to have in place? Number one, subject everything to the test of truth. In 2 Corinthians, in that passage where Paul says, examine yourselves, look down at verse 8, where he says, we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth. That should be our loyalty. Truth God has revealed for us to believe and teach and practice. So everything I think, every thought, every attitude, every word indeed must be subjected to the test of truth. 
how thankful we should be that God has revealed truth for us to learn and obey. Christ lived and died for us to have access to the truth and obey the truth. I need to subject everything in my life to the test of truth and be able to justify my loyalties by an appeal to the truth of God's word. Number two, remember that iron sharpens iron. There is this curious statement back in Proverbs about how good friends who are loyal to God can help each other. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So, subject everything to the test of truth. Do that first. In doing that, there may be brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us, people we can confide in, who will encourage us and help us think through the issues of life. Number three, remember who you are and who you serve. Listen to this very simple statement in Colossians 3.24. You are serving the Lord Christ. We are Christians. Thus, our primary loyalty has been explained and defined for us in the New Testament. We serve God through Jesus Christ as it is written by the Holy Spirit in the Word. Number four, don't let your identity be defined by a group. I alluded to this earlier. Don't let your identity be defined by a group. It must be defined by God. Christians are associated with a local group, a local church, but our identity is defined at a higher level. We are children of God. We are followers of Christ. This is the very point the Apostle Paul was making in the early chapters of 1 Corinthians. I want you to listen to some of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? People were aligned with groups, apparently within the local church at Corinth, Loyalty to various men, who in some cases were good men, no doubt. But this division was spiritually destructive, the opposite of unity, another case of misplaced loyalty. And did you hear how the passage ends? I'm going to keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's important to see how the passage ends, and I'm talking about verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We belong to Paul.
We do not belong to a preacher. We do not belong to one of the apostles. We belong to God. Don't let your real identity as a Christian be distorted or limited to a group you are a part of or a man you favor. Finally, when Paul changed his loyalty from a religious group to the person and work of Jesus Christ, let's review how he expressed his loyalty to Jesus Christ. I'm in chapter 3 again, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. My loyalty needs to be directed to heaven, and that means gaining Christ, being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I need to be certain my loyalty is singular, directed to Jesus Christ. Certainly loyalty to him will mean we're loyal to others where there is no compromise, but it also means we guard against misplaced loyalties. And we periodically raise this question, can I justify my loyalties? Thank you for listening.